Today's podcast is brought to you by T-Rax Knives. Check out T-Rax Knives for all of your custom knife works. Whether you want a filleting knife, a skinning knife, or a kitchen knife, if you can dream it, these guys can build it. No two knives are ever the same. They're always made to order and 100% custom. Check out T-Rax Knives on Facebook and Instagram. Place your order today and tell them Non-Typical Nation sent you for a special discount. We've said it once and we'll say it again, guys. Predator season is here. Check out Smith Game Calls for all of your game call needs. These guys have everything from beginner calls to expert, and uh, they're all super easy to use. They sound absolutely phenomenal. So check out Smith Game Calls on Facebook, on Instagram, and online. Use promo code NONTYPICAL for a special discount. Today's podcast is always fueled by Old Smokes Coffee. Today I'm drinking the Skittish Whitetail, guys. It's a light roast. This is their conventional blend. So they've got their smoke roasted blends, everything from light to dark. And then they've also got their conventional roasted blends, also everything from light to dark. So they've got something for absolutely every single coffee drinker we have. Check out Old Smokes Coffee on Facebook, on Instagram, and online. Use promo code NONTYPICAL for another great discount. This is the Non-Typical Nation podcast with your host, Brody Teal and Eric Labrie. Let's talk hunting and absolutely everything else that goes with it. What's going on, guys? We are back with another podcast. Uh, Today, we've got myself, Brody Teal. We've got a special guest with us today. He is the winner of our last podcast giveaway, an avid hunter, avid outdoorsman, and a real family man. So I look forward to chatting with Brandon Cottrell. Um, And yeah, you know what? I just got back from a hunt that I have absolutely never experienced before, and uh, that was an Alberta mountain lion hunt Um, i'm gonna dive into this right now and share this story just because it was an experience that um nothing that i could compare it to and uh not what i expected either you know i had planned about five days to chase these mountain lions here in alberta Um, i'm going with a a houndsman who uh, really knows what he's doing he's an experienced guy you know, they they took down several cats last year, and uh, he said, "Hey, Brody, come on out, and we'll go chase some chase some cats." So, um, I booked about five days to go hunting with these guys, and uh, you know, I figured we'd get up at you know an hour, half hour before uh, before uh, hunting start time, get out there, start looking for tracks, but uh, no. Little did I know when you hunt cats, you get out there at 3, 4 a.m. And um, the reason for that, the reason why you get out so early when you're hunting these mountain lions is because these cats are moving in the evening. So it's dark at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the evening. And so these cats are moving, you know, from that time on. So you want to cut these tracks and find these tracks before a grader grades the road or plows the road before trucks drive on the road before you know oil workers and forestry workers get working so 
we were out each morning at 4 a.m. Um, looking and looking and looking for tracks. Day one, you know, we found a few old ones, but nothing to really get excited about. Um, we actually spent the day on the quad in the snowmobile and I froze like an absolute icicle. I decided to grow this uh, late season hunting beard and it just turned into a great big icicle. So that got shaved off as soon as I got back home. Uh, but yeah, no, first day, you know, nothing to get excited about. Second day, again, just not a lot of movement. But on day two, we got a fresh snow. And so if you're looking for tracks, you know snow is good. If you get a good dump of snow the next day, you're going to be able to see fresh tracks. So day two was sort of a, it was sort of a write-off because, you know, we were looking for tracks, but it was snow at the same time. So it was covering everything up. So day two, um, you know, we, we gave it our all, but didn't find much. Now day three, um, we knew it would be a good day, probably our best day. And we had four guys covering geez, I think we covered around 300 kilometers in total. And, um, you know, we're all on ATVs or snowmobiles or trucks and didn't see a single mountain lion track. Now we had a few close calls, three of us who aren't quite experienced, seen some really, you know, large lynx tracks. We told ourselves there were cat tracks, but we got reassured by the houndsman that no, these aren't mountain lion tracks, these are just big lynx tracks. Uh, so that was a learning lesson for everybody basically that day. Um, day four, we, again, it was super slow and it wasn't until the last day. So again, we're out there at 4 a.m., you know, super early, looking, looking, looking. We're all going separate ways. Um, I was planning to head home that day right around one o'clock because typically, they won't let the dogs loose after, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon because those dogs could run several miles. And if they tree something in the dark or if they get mixed up, well, then you've got a, a major problem on your hands. So, um, you know, I told myself, you know, we're going to look all day until right around noon, one o'clock. And if I don't see anything, I'm going to make my way, make my way out and head home. So sure enough, you know, 1130, 12 o'clock comes around and I'm actually making my way towards the highway, covering these grounds, these back roads, and uh, not a single lion track. No one's seen anything. Um, and literally, as soon as I got to the highway, I had two bars of service on my phone, and the houndsman calls me. I answer the phone, we've got a track. And you know what? <laughs> my heart jumped out of my chest, but at this point, I was about an hour away from them, so I was a far ways away. So I had to cover a lot of ground and quick to get to these guys so we could cut this track before uh, we lose too much light. Cause like I said, we're right around noon, one o'clock and uh, it's dark by like 4.30, 4.15. So I had to move my butt, I caught up with the guys and sure enough, you know, a great big fresh Tom mountain lion track is imprinted right there in the dirt. Um, in the snow as well. So what this cat had done, it had moved um, not at the not in the dark, but uh, in the morning. So it had walked over the the mound of snow that the grader pushed on the the gravel on the road, and then back uh, into the snow in the ditch. And uh, it was a fresh track. Um, yeah, it was absolutely insane i pulled up the dogs are barking like crazy the houndsman is absolutely pumped right up he's got a grin ear to ear and uh it's go time so what we did is we uh 
we he showed me the track i was filming it all documenting it all we let the dogs loose now the dogs this is their first run of the year the snow's melting because this day it was about three degrees and the wind's blowing very strong so those tracks they're melting quick which isn't good because that snow holds the scent um, he released the dogs on the snow and they got a little mixed up at first. So he went in with them, got them on the trail and, uh, and then we actually followed behind them. Um, we covered about two kilometers and these dogs, you know, they weren't far from us, but then all of a sudden they caught a, a very fresh scent and they were gone. All three dogs we seen on the GPS just beelined it right right to right on this track they're barking like crazy so we're pumped right up you know we said awesome news these dogs they they found the hot track and they are chasing this cat down um and you know we were we were uh, we thought it was going to be a slam dunk but then we seen they're going towards a road so this is another issue because you can lose a dog if you have a semi flying by and and your dog's not paying attention. He's glued on that track. So we got to the road and sure enough, they had crossed. Everything was fine. We're watching them on the GPS. They're now a kilometer away, then two kilometers away, three kilometers away, four kilometers away, and the dogs get split up. The lead dog continues going north. The other two dogs go west. And... um and they're separating quite a bit. You know, first it's 500 yards, then it's a kilometer, then it's two kilometers. And um, at one point, the two dogs were four kilometers away from the lead dog. So we had a big problem on our hands. This lead dog um, was chasing a great big cat. And one dog and one cat, um, that's not much... Not much of a challenge for this cat, and uh, they don't have much fear if there's one dog around. So we had to make a decision. Are we going to go track down these two dogs? Are we going to get on one of these cougar tracks, or are we going to go rescue this dog that's hot on this trail? So as we're sort of discussing the game plan, the GPS is beeping like crazy. And the dog, the lead dog, has a cat treat. It's barking 50 barks a minute. And it's barking at a tree and not moving. So the lead dog has the tom treed, but he's over a kilometer away from us. And, um, you know, we, we, we just couldn't go after it because we had these two other dogs that were heading in the opposite direction. So the houndsman said, you know what, guys, it's 2.30. We're losing light here. You guys go in after the lead dog and uh, I will chase down these other two dogs in the snowmobile. So he goes and, and recovers the other two dogs. They are a long ways away. And what actually happened is the dogs went into the bush and they got on to two separate uh, cat tracks. There were actually three cat cats in this, this pile of bush. Um, the big mature Tom is the one that we initially seen on the road. And uh, that's the one the lead dog went after. But the other two, they chased a smaller set of tracks. And um, yeah, you know, very, very unnerving for the houndsman. And um, at this point, I'm like, hey, tell me what I got to do. And, and we got to get these dogs back because we cannot lose a dog. Luckily, um, the lead dog started making its way towards us. Now, like I said, it was over a kilometer away. And it took this dog a half hour to get to where we were. 
when it crossed the tree line, it had its tail between its legs and it just bedded down. Something happened with this lead dog and the cat. You know, this dog had no energy. Um, it was exhausted and uh, it had fear on its face. It crossed the tree line. It didn't run to its owner, didn't run to us. It just sat right down. Its tail was between its legs and something happened. Um, you know, it would have been cool if we could have put a GoPro or something on it to see what happened, but uh, we'll never know. Um, but luckily, we all the dogs made it back safe and sound. Um, unfortunately, I did not get a cat, but, um, you know, absolutely wild experience. This hunt was the most mentally exhausting hunt I've ever been on. Not physically, but mentally. Um, you know, up at 4 a.m., your head's on the ground looking for tracks till... 4 p.m. and um, it is absolutely taxing and when you don't see anything for four days five days straight uh, it takes a toll on you and that's why I was going to head out early but like I said as soon as I got to that highway I got a bar of service and I got the call we got on the cats and everything just changed on a dime um, our slow hunt turned into an absolute action-packed hunt that was <laughs> chaotic to say the least but you know what I uh I was amazed by what those dogs do. Yeah, they got split up, but, um, you know, it's unreal. The passion those dogs have for chasing cats. And uh, I've got a lynx hunt booked in February, so I'm pumped up for that. But I'm still hoping I can get out at least one more time after these mountain lions. Now, anyways, I'm going to stop rambling on here. We're going to get on uh, Brandon, the winner of our last contest. And, uh, yeah, let's dial him in here, guys. Oh, I should mention, uh, Eric's away. He had some Christmas festivities to uh, to attend, um, so it's just me and Brandon on the podcast today. Hello. Hey, Brandon. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Yourself? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Sorry about that. I'm running a little bit behind. I went rambling on about my uh, my latest hunting experience. All good. Yeah, I just got back from a, a mountain lion hunt, my first cougar hunt I've ever been on, and man, that was a wild ride. That would be an experience for sure. It's yeah. Not I've ever had yet, but... You haven't chased cats before? Not yet, no. There's a couple other things I want to chase here before looking to doing something like that. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's a, it's a different experience, man. You are... Uh, your hunt is it's totally up to the dogs you know like you can find those tracks you can find the cats but um if those dogs can't stick with the tracks or if they get a little mixed up um you know it's uh it's it's very unpredictable some people think it's a complete slam dunk and uh yeah our hunt it just we had five days of literally nothing not even seeing a fresh track and then just as i was about to leave i got the call they found a fresh cat track. We released the dogs and there was actually several cats in this big bunch of bush and the dogs got mixed up. And um, our lead dog had treed the great big Tom and uh, it was a kilometer away from us. The other two dogs were in the opposite direction. So we had to get this dog back. And uh, yeah, it was just absolutely chaotic. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You don't want to have just a single dog left on the cat. No, exactly. And actually, this lead dog, so it's a female. The dog was six years old. Three years ago, this dog was released on a, on a, a giant cougar 
someone actually killed the cat that was uh, in the story I'm telling. And uh, the cat weighed 200 pounds, just an absolute giant. But anyways, the houndsmen sent this dog in and another one. They treed the cat. The do cat came down and actually grabbed this female, this lead dog, by her neck. And then the other hound went at the cougar. And the cougar let go of the lead dog, so she got away. But it tore that other dog apart and actually killed it. Just absolutely, oh man, and they're just pure muscle. So luckily, um, Sage, the lead dog, this female, she she ended up backing out to the trail, um, but the other dog lost its life. But this Sage, she had to go in for surgery. She took a year off, but she always wanted to go after tracks. Every time they brought her out, she wanted to be released. And uh, last year, she treed, uh, I think, five different cats. And then this year, this was her first... Uh, her first run at cats and uh yeah she the other dogs left onto a different trail and it was just her and this cat and something happened because she was a kilometer away from us and she started making her way back but we she we knew she treed the cat because she was barking 50 barks a minute at a tree so yeah. we know that there was a cat in the tree but then she started backing out and it took her a half hour to get back to us and when she crossed the tree line about 100 yards from us her tail was between her legs and she just bedded down. So something happened and you could just see it on her face, the fear, you know, the exhaustion. And uh, yeah, it was just, you know, a scary, scary moment for us and the houndsmen. Um, you know, we were really worried we were going to lose a dog, but luckily everyone made it back safe and sound. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully some better luck next time. No doubt. Yeah, it's just absolutely wild, man. Um, I've never experienced anything like it. And when you're on these tracks, it is so freaking intense because you don't know what corner you're going to turn and this cat's going to be in the tree. Yeah, any time or how many there is. Or how many there is. That's the thing because we, we thought there was one big tom and it turned out there were three separate tracks in this immediate area. So I'm Just littered with cats. Oh, man. And it's, you know, we covered... Over the course of those five days, we covered 500 kilometers between, you know, five of us and um, no tracks. But in, in this one particular area that was actually had a lot of a lot of uh, people working in it. So a lot of uh, logging, a lot of uh, oil work. Um, but that's where the cats were. And, uh, you know, you just absolutely never know where. Uh, where they're going to be or where that big buck's going to be or where that, uh, the elk herd's going to be. <laughs> no, that's just it. I've spent a lot of days where you just don't see anything. And then eventually you'll go take a turn down some trail that you wouldn't even think twice. Exactly. All of a sudden they're all there. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, man. So I wanted to bring you onto this podcast because, uh, you were the winner of our, uh, our last podcast giveaway. What we were looking is we wanted, we wanted everyone to send in, um, a story, with their most memorable moment in the outdoors with friends and family uh you had a great one and like you said you know um hunting with family is so important to you and uh you know that's me as well i've got two young children my wife absolutely loves hunting and fishing and uh you know that is it is our lifestyle you know this tomorrow we're gonna go out and uh, cruise around see if we can see any wolves or coyotes or find any cougar tracks and then after christmas we're ice fishing so it's always something and uh the best memories are made in the outdoors and uh, you had a super cool story and i'm sure you have other ones you can tell as well so i figured i'd get you on the podcast yeah you bet yeah it was a 
just trying to figure out which story is the most memorable. I just went through a lot of files in the head because I've had a lot of experiences, but just the biggest one for me it was the really the one that kickstarted my passion for hunting. Like we started going out hunting with my dad at a fairly young age, probably like five or six, just gross hunting or fowl hunting and stuff. Yeah. Not until I was a little bit older, kind of around that ten year age or whatever. There, it started taking out for big game and stuff, but. The one that really got me into the hunting was we, uh, out northeast of Peace River there in 520, they call it, like, well, now it's the Mercer East Hall Road or whatever. Used to oh, be yeah. GMI. Yeah. Um, went up there. This is, like, well before a lot of the activity happened back up there. You'd be down not even kilometer 50, and that was as far as the road would go. Wow. And then, yeah, we'd spent a few days out there, five of us just packed into my uncle's old truck camper. And yeah, a few days not seeing anything. And then just like you say, you just never know where you're going to find these animals. Yeah. And then, uh, so the one evening, cause this was early season, we went down through this one area with these old cut blocks that opened up into some of the newer ones from the previous winter. Okay. And then we set up, it was fairly wet back there. And then my uncle was set up on one brush pile and my brother set up on another and my uncle was doing some cow calling, and my brother was doing some bull. And within half an hour, it was just like lit up right around us. Wow. Cow calls and bull calls. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, within like 20 minutes, we had one on the ground. And mm. I had just been able to walk up to an animal of that size for the first time, especially being that young. It was just something amazing. It is absolutely unreal, man. When when an elk or a moose hits the ground, just especially the first time when you walk up to him, just to see the the sheer size and uh, you know just the the strength they have and just how something like that um, can become what it is because they are huge. You know, six seven hundred pounds, big bulls. Um, yeah, it's something else. So. This, you're hunting the rut, you're hunting early October or late September, basically? Late September, early October, yeah. Okay, and this was several days into your hunt after you haven't seen anything. Yeah, like, we'd been there for, like, four or five days, and then, yeah, just that night, say, we tried just a different spot, and then, yeah, after we got that moose down, or my uncle got the moose down, I remember walking back out with my dad just to go get a couple quads so we can get it in and be able to haul that out after. Yeah. And then just walking down the trails to where we left the quads, there was moose in the bush on both sides of us. Wow. Yeah, they were just everywhere. <laughs> that is too cool, man. That's unreal. So have you hunted that area since? Uh, a couple times. Like, that's not our main area that we hunt. Okay. We typically, like, I'm in, like, right in Peace River, which okay. is, like, 527. So we typically would do our moose hunting early season up kind of north of Dixonville. Okay. the bush there. Um, but yeah, it takes a few more years now just to get an early season tag, especially. Yeah, uh, for sure. With our group, we typically would be able to have a couple tags every year, but that's kind of, uh, dropped since it takes about four or five years for an early season tag now. Exactly. It seems so. Yeah. And then we'll go undersubscribed because usually there's undersubscribed tags there, but that's for that late season. Usually a eh? late season. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so your dad, was he a big game hunter or did he really start hunting big game when you guys were old enough to hunt or did he always? No, he'd hunted for quite a few years okay. there. Um, especially like the story of my uncle there, they're probably best hunting buddies right through. Yeah. Like they'd hunt every year together. Um, yeah. As for as long as I can remember. Wow. Like, and just listening to some of the stories they had over the years too. It's 
it's one of my favorite things about hunting is the stories that come out of it man without a doubt there is nothing better than being at a hunting camp and telling hunting stories and yeah. uh, you know sharing pictures um it's it's just it's too cool no, and when you can share stories and and he, listen to stories and if you have the the chance to to see photos of some of these you know older hunts a different time a different you know different hunt man there was just more game 50 40 30 years ago than there is now uh, um, even like six seven years ago like i sure. remember going out you'd spend a day up where we normally go you'd see 60 moose in a day wow. now you're lucky to see like five yeah yeah unreal unreal um so uh your your dad how did he did he get into hunting from his father or he was just just came into it on his own or do you know the story there i think he just came kind of in on his own there yeah. um with a couple of friends and then yeah when my auntie married my uncle there they yeah they just became good friends that way just every year and so is he from that peace river region uh yeah he was from the peace river area here just actually farmed by grimshaw oh nice uh but then they moved up into high level back in the 80s i think okay um he's since passed away um but yeah well you know what and uh so he was an avid moose hunter then oh yeah that was his passion you know high level and and like manning up around there that's just moose uh and even where you guys are peace river it's just you know great great moose hunting yeah it's a little harder up and around high level it's pretty wet up there but. yeah we actually went um oh where were we we were between manning and high level eric and i in september for the last week of archery season and he actually owned some allocations up there and uh but he drew a tag this year for the late season but he wanted to try an archery to get something and i had an archery tag too and we hunted for geez what was it i think four or five days and the problem is in this particular zone is there's very limited access as you get up north there oh yeah you know we were we weren't in the zone that manning's in we were in the zone farther north than that and um access is very very limited for crown um you know we seen a little bit of moose sign but really not much and um it wasn't until you know the last day um we had a bit of an earlier start and we were covering ground just in some old old cut blocks and uh sure enough it just like it was just presented there for us was this bull moose and um you know eric and i looked at each other i said you take it man so he uh covered some ground i was running the camera he got to about 60 yards and we've talked about this a million times but he stands up draws back the moose looks at him releases the arrow and that moose i people think i'm lying when i say that this moose jumped the string but this moose dropped 16 inches from the time he released his arrow to the time that arrow got to where it was supposed to go um, we tracked the whole thing with the camera and you can see the moose drop and we judged how far that thing dropped and this arrow just skimmed right over its back. Um, you know, it, it would have hit right around center of his body. So it would have been a good shot, but uh, the thing ducked so darn low and uh, yeah, it was just heartbreaking for him. And luckily we had the camera because he thought he hit it and uh, we watched the video. You see his Luminoc fly in the air and it just goes right over the back. But, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of country there and access is very limited. So I think if someone just got 
you know, off of the beaten roads, you know, get on an Argo or something where you can get a ways back, you'd probably get into some pretty big bulls. Oh, definitely, because there won't be many people back there. No, and I think it's an undersubscribed draw as well for late season. I could be wrong. I know he draws it almost every year, but um, I usually hold out for one of their zones us around here for us. It's usually about five and four for that early season around here. Yeah, um, but you can hunt archery, right? That's, that's what I've been doing the last few years. Yeah, that's actually what I ended up doing this year. I was just buying an archery moose tag and spent a couple days doing it, but didn't get really that close. Closest no I got to a bull was 80 yards Oh yeah. before, before it took off on me there. But Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, uh, your family, man, your kids getting into hunting now, do they enjoy being out in the field? Do they like ice fishing? What do they like to do? Uh, you definitely do. Uh, more so my son, he's five. Uh, yeah, he's definitely my little hunting buddy. He, uh, came out and checked cameras with me several times this year. Nice. He'll go right into the bush with me. Awesome. Not even thinking twice. Um, taking him chicken hunting. He just doesn't stop talking about it. Just looking to the point now, too, where I'll be able to take him out into the bush for a few day trips. That's super cool. So he's five years old? He's five, yeah. He just turned five this summer. So. Yeah, so my yeah my oldest is six. He just turned six in October. And um, so I've been bringing him in since. I think he was in the deer blind at two and a half years old. But he wouldn't, he didn't like walking in the bush, right? And most kids don't. You know, the, the weeds are high, grasses are high, there's branches hitting you in the face and yeah same thing it wasn't until he was about five like this past summer that he was okay to to walk in on his own and and I was getting a little worried because I had him in the blind at like two and a half years old but it was three it was four and he still didn't like walking in the bush and I'm like oh man I gotta break this kid and then finally at five years old he's following right behind me and it's it's crazy just how much more they mature once they start going to school and and uh you know at at that five six year old range and um you know i don't think my wife would let me take him on an overnight trip but (laughs) he loves Uh, coming out with me definitely probably be a couple of years before i can yeah like up to where we normally go with him but yeah it's amazing like this year is the first time i put him out in a blind with me too for a few hours wow he sat there and didn't complain once that's awesome he just took it all in and enjoyed it all so Oh, good for him, man. You know, and the grouse hunting, we're so fortunate in Alberta because, um, you know, it's, I know at least where we are and even where, you know, I elk hunt and moose hunt, there's just grouse absolutely everywhere. So, um, you know, you could go out any day and pretty much limit out on grouse, especially these last couple of years. It's been really good around here. So great opportunity to get the kids out and uh, get them to experience some action. Because let's be honest, you know, if you have a slow day of hunting and you see absolutely nothing, um, it's it's tough on us and it's really tough on them. So when you can have a little bit of fun and, you know, shoot some squirrels or shoot some grouse and uh, have a little extra action, it's always a bonus for the kids. 100%. And yeah, it's nice now too because they dropped the age to be able to get your license to hunt for grouse too. So Yes, 10 years old now in Alberta, you can hunt upland game bird. So yeah, like my daughter will be a couple years off of that. Uh, she's not so big on the hunting. Like she'll come out and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I found that neutral ground with her. She's not okay. so much on the killing side of things. Yeah. So we had a compromise there. She, she wants a camera and she wants to take a picture of wildlife. So. Yeah, for sure. 
that'll work for me. Yeah, without a doubt, man. Um, and that's why I love going to like Jasper and Banff. The the family loves it, but I get to you know get up close and personal with elk and bear and everything else. Yeah, it's it's not really the real outdoors because these animals see 500 people a day but it's still cool just to see wildlife take videos take videos and just watch them do their thing and they're still in their natural habitat exactly yeah for sure so your daughter does she like fishing yeah she does yeah that's a big thing i've noticed with with girls is they they love their fishing i love fishing too but at the end of the day if i gotta choose between hunting and fishing i'm going hunting Oh, yeah, and we're spoiled because like, we live right on the river, right? So, nice. Um, this year we didn't get to go as much just because of all the rain and stuff. The river never really settled or cleared up. Okay. And it was high pretty much all summer. So. Wow, what river are you guys on? On Peace River. Okay, right on. So you guys have a jet boat you take on the river? You just fish shoreline? Yeah, a lot of shore fishing. Yeah. Like, there's quite a few creeks that flow in or rivers okay. within, uh, within 45 minutes from here. So. Yeah. Like five minutes from my house, they call it Strong Creek, flows in. Nice. I'm like, yeah, I typically try to get out there a dozen times a year or so. For sure. So what are you guys primarily catching? Uh, walleye, um, gold eye. Last year we caught a ton of gold eye on the river. Gold eye is crazy, man. If you can find, if you can find a pocket, you'll oh, just yeah. hit them all day long. Yeah, and they're actually pretty fun to fish. They put on a pretty decent fight. They are, yeah. But yeah, and the odd pike, huh? haven't caught many of those, but yeah, and a lot of burbot. Okay, wow. But there's quite a few different ones in there. Like I remember back in the, quite a few years ago, we were catching like um, trout in there and stuff too. Wow, unreal. So, Any big walleye you guys catching out of the river there? Uh, the biggest one I've caught out of there was probably about seven pounds. Oh, that's um, a good one. I've had friends that have caught 12 and a half, 13 pounders, pretty close there. Wow. Yeah, there's definitely some big fish in there. It's, yeah. just, it's such a vast system that any given time, you never know where something that big would be. Exactly. Right on, right on. So how did your uh, how did your hunting season go this year? Uh, tag soup this year. Yeah. Uh, not from the lack of trying. Also, just trying to fit around the busy work schedule. Uh, any little chance I can get to get out. Yeah. Um, times like these man if you can work you got to make it while the sun shines there's a lot of people there yeah exactly um yeah i missed my deer this year and that's what you say uh filming like your buddy's moose hunt there yeah where you filmed it you seen the arrow went over yeah it is a nice thing to be able to film those hunts and know for sure because i yeah shot up my deer and went and tracked and seen nothing there so we went back to the video and you could see it actually hit some brush oh off out and behind it there so it's, it's amazing how much those willows will throw your trajectory out oh without a doubt man that's a killer yeah yeah it's, it's nice you know it's you gotta expect if you're filming and if that's your priority at least that's that's mine um you gotta expect to miss out on a few opportunities screw a few things up um but when you do capture it on film um, you know, it helps big time to see, you know, where your arrow hit and then, you know, you, you achieve the end goal of capturing that, uh, that hunt on film. But, yeah. um, yeah, no. So I was checking out your, your Instagram page. It looks like you, you do a lot of documenting of your, you know, of yourself, your hunting experiences, your scouting, um, and everything else. So are you filming for, you know, like your YouTube or Instagram? Or are you doing anything different with that? 
No, just basically filming it for that, just to share my hunting experiences. Okay. I'm not too crazy into it yet. Um, but yeah, just in the last few years, I really started getting into trail cameras. Okay. And that's huge on me. And uh, now, especially with your guys' antler obsession, yeah. it, uh, a lot more animals. Awesome. Lots of draw them in and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's just more for sharing with friends and family and stuff there. Well, and that's what's so... That's what makes, you know, the, the preseason scouting so special is, is it's, you know, it's relaxed. You go out there, you, uh, you know, put down some, some supplement or attractant, set a camera up, and then you have the excitement of going through all the photos and, and, you know, dreaming of what you're going to chase the next season. And then you get a, a different buck that you haven't seen in a while or a big bull that you've never seen before. And, and it's just super exciting. And the kids love it too. Like when I, when we go and retrieve cameras, it's uh, it's the longest drive home to to go check out the memory card. Everyone's just anxious as heck to get on the computer and see what's on that camera. hundred percent. Well, and I run mostly all cellular cameras. Nice. Because most of my areas have service, yeah. so yeah, it's uh, it's pretty neat, especially waking up in the morning to see that you've got all those notifications. For you sure. Be able to flip through all those. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I've actually this past year and a half, I've started to utilize cellular cameras where I can. And, um, and I like it because at least during deer season, it sort of gave me an idea of where I should be sitting where I shouldn't be sitting. Um, now, with that being said, it took me all season till the last day to kill a deer. So it didn't benefit me too much. But, um, you know, I, I definitely see a benefit in cellular cameras. I'm all for them. Um, and it really helps to, it helps limit the amount that you go in and out of your, your spot. Um, you know, the, obviously the more you go in, the more you, you harm things and then the more animals are just going to, uh, avoid the, the spot in particular. So if you got a cellular camera, you can see how often the animals are hitting it, see how often you got to go and replenish your, uh, your minerals and, uh, no, they're, they're a very useful and good tool to use for sure. Yeah, and sometimes it's kind of a little bit of a heartache too, because without you know, a doubt, man. there and then yeah, they'll come up right after. Yeah, you no. Might see something all day, and then you go to switch it up a bit, and or you're expecting like I used them in bear season these last couple of years, and you know I thought it'd be a slam dunk. I'm like, yeah, perfect. We'll get the bait out. I'll see when there's a bear there. He's gonna hit it, you know, day after day. As soon as I see him there, I'm gonna go and get in the stand the next day. And uh, it never works out like you plan. <laughs> no, <laughs> never does. But yeah, yes. the idea of it though, it, it seemed like it'd be a slam dunk. But it doesn't make things much. Uh, you know, it's definitely not a slam dunk. But um, it, it definitely does um, help you make the most of your time in the outdoors, especially when you are limited, right? No, exactly. And that's yeah, my biggest thing too. Because working long hours, doing oil field. Yeah. There, so it kind of takes away that having to go out there yeah and you know what if you're running you know five or even ten spots um yeah no it's it's uh it makes things a lot easier to run cellular cameras what kind of cameras are you running i run the spy point okay um a lot of mixed reviews on them i've never really had any issues okay but yeah no i've got nothing bad to say about them yeah yeah we've been playing around with the the Reconico trail cameras and uh so far i'm very impressed the battery life on them 
Um, I've got a couple I put out on November 1st. I got them to, uh, I got a few from them and uh, I've got pictures today and that thing still has over half battery. And I think it's taken like 1400 photos or something like that. So um, quite impressed with them. And then I think they have a 22 megapixel camera or something crazy like that. So quality seems to be there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've got a few different ones. We were working with a company called Geopack there. They had a, a camera of their own, um, worked, worked all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the problem with, with Northern Alberta is, um, you gotta have a camera that's designed for, you know, minus 25, minus 30 temperatures, especially if you're doing, if you're going to leave it out all year round, because, the issue I had is is a lot of the American-made cameras or the cheaper ones they just wouldn't uh, wouldn't last through the winter or they'd last and the batteries would they just chew right through batteries. Um, but yeah, this Reconico one I've been quite impressed with it so far. So we'll see how uh, see how she does as the months progress. Yeah, I like to keep my cameras out or a few of them anyways all winter. But on the ones I do leave out, I'll uh, just throw the twelve volt battery on it with. Oh, you do that, eh? So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you'll get quite an extended life out of it. So, when you do that, can you run, like, how, how long will you leave that there with a 12-volt battery? battery? Uh, depending. Like, the winter's a little shorter. You probably get three months out of it if you get a cold winter. Okay. But I've had it go as long as, like, six months. Wow. And, I mean, it probably took 30,000 pictures. Holy smokes. In that time. Yeah, it makes it fun to go through the card after, though. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. So do you got any uh, crazy critters on your camera from this past year? Any giant bucks or big bulls or anything different? Uh, a couple of different deer that hadn't been in the area in the last couple of years since I've had cameras there. Okay. Uh, definitely be giving them a couple of years, but... There was a uh, one that on the one farm there, my coworker, he's got some land there. I've got the cameras up there for a few years, but there was a, a drop tine buck in there. It nice. Like. Yeah. And he came in a few times and it was actually his whole beam dropped. Wow. So that was pretty neat. But other than that, the guy noticed this year though too, like there was way less animal movement through the areas that I had cameras in. Okay than last year there as well because i probably had twenty thousand less pictures this year huh interesting and, and what do you think that is just more hunting pressure what do you think it was i'm thinking more because it was a lot uh rainier season this yeah. summer yeah and there was a lot more forage in the bush and stuff for them yes. so they weren't having to travel as much yeah no that uh that plays a huge factor for sure but yeah some just strange pictures on it as well i don't know if you've seen the one on my site there where it's uh going out and checking the one camera there and all of a sudden it almost looked like an entity standing behind me <laughs> yeah i've had a few creepy ones like that before it's always uh always makes you question what's actually going on whether something got like stuck when the it went off there yeah. flying by or whatever but yeah huh. yes yeah, you never know what you're gonna see on them though yeah exactly unreal so you primary bow hunt or do you uh take the rifle along as the season progresses into the later months or uh yeah usually like i haven't really got back well, i've hunted when i was a little bit younger with a bow i okay. remember like the uncle we used to hunt with he couldn't pull a bow anymore 
Um, so he let me try it. He said, if you can kill something with it, you can have it. Yeah. Or whatever. So, yeah, that first season, I was 14 at the time. Bound and determined, eh? Bound and determined. I ended up getting my mule buck or whatever. So oh, no way. Inheriting that bow. Um, but then eventually when he did pass away, I ended up giving it back to my cousin. Okay. Because he was basically his father figure growing up. Yeah. So it was kind of a sentimental thing. And then, yeah, I didn't pick up a bow for probably 10 years after that. Okay. So, yeah, within the last three years, I went out and bought a bow and been shooting a lot. And it definitely piques my interest a lot more, you know, to get that close and getting that experience. Yeah. Yeah, you know, my biggest thing, like, I, I got into bow hunting basically just for the fact that I could hunt moose um, before everyone with a rifle could, and I didn't have to wait for a tag for every four or five years. Now, you know, I could get in the, the deer stand on August 26 and have a chance at a velvet buck where you wouldn't with a rifle. So just the extra opportunity, um, you know, but it's without a doubt uh, much more challenging than rifle hunting. Oh, yeah, there's um, definitely no guarantee. You know, yeah, for sure. And, and all honesty, you know, I'll hold on to that bow during during archery season. Um, you know, as I get into uh, mid-September, I still have the bow in hand. But once I get into mid-October, um, I love rifle hunting, too. I really do. And there's a lot of guys that, I don't know, they just seem like they're ashamed to say they don't like hunting with a rifle because there's <laughs> such the, you know... In the bow hunting community, there's sort of a stigma with guys who who kill things with guns. But um, you know, I, I love hunting in general. I'm pro hunting, so whether that's with a bow or a rifle, I'm all for it. And just uh, like being my out there. just being out there, man. And this cat hunt, I had a few guys say, "Hey, why aren't you shooting it with a bow?" And you know, all honesty, this is my first cat hunt, and I really don't know what to expect. So I'm not going to be confident enough to start with the bow. So you know, rifle it is. It's not going to take anything away from the experience at all. So, you know, I always tell guys, whatever you feel comfortable with, whether it's the bow or rifle or even a crossbow, you know, just get out there and, and do it. Whatever's going to get the job done, uh, you know, use that. So, yeah, but I bow hunting like... is super exciting. And when it all comes together, when you release that arrow and it hits where you want to hit, man, it is, it is unreal. Um, you know, now your chance for error definitely goes up. Like you said, you can hit a twig and just a little willow and it'll throw that arrow right off. Um, or, you know, the moose could, uh, to, could jump the string and, and you go right, skim his back. So, you know, um, there's definitely, uh, you're taking a, a bit of a risk, but, um, yeah, no, when it all comes together, it's super rewarding. Um, but myself, I'm not married to one or the other. I, I love rifle hunting and I, uh, I love bow hunting too. So, well, and it all depends on kind of what you're doing for hunting. Like if you're going to go into some big fields and stuff where you're not going to have covered as like do the spot and stock without a doubt your rifle might be the way to go but bow if you're in an area where it's small the the bow is almost better right like if you're in a tree stand and you're sitting over a trail that is you know 15 yards ahead of you um if if you know if if you practice enough with your bow um you'll almost you're almost better off using the bow at that range um, and you know, I got a, an archery moose lot, not this past season, the season before in a tree stand, um, you know, my, my spring bear season, I always use the bow for that. Just, you know, it's, I'm comfortable with it. And, um, 
once you get a few under the belt, it just, it feels normal. Um, but yeah, when it comes to, you know, at least me chasing when I'm into November now chasing, you know, mule deer or, or whitetails, um, the rifles usually in hand, but, uh, yeah, no, we, uh, I'm getting excited though. Um, you know, bear seasons, it's, it seems like a long ways away, but, uh, but it, it March comes quick and, uh, I'm looking, I got to get some reps in with the bow to get, uh, get ready for that one. But I've got a couple hunts in between. I want to, want to finish this, uh, this cat hunting, uh, chapter, um, hopefully, uh, get a cougar down here in the next, you know, month or so. And then I've got an actual, another new one, a lynx hunt planned in BC. Oh yeah. Cause you can actually hunt them there. Yeah. So you can hunt them there. And again, it's with dogs. So, um, I'm very excited for that. And we're actually going basically in, in the middle of nowhere. If you know where Williams Lake is, we're about two and a half hours from Williams Lake and that's the nearest community. So we are right in the middle of, of BC and, uh, yeah, it's going to be something else. Yeah. Williams Lake's where my sister-in-law grew up. So. Oh, no way. Yeah. Right on, right on. Yeah. It's beautiful out there, man. I was there once, once before. Um, but yeah, the camp that, that we're going to is, is about two and a half hours Southwest, I think it is. And that's the nearest community. So these guys are right in the middle of nowhere. And I guess there's just, um, you know, they say success rate is, is pretty much a hundred percent. They've always killed a cat in each hunt. So, um, yeah, that'll be exciting. And, and I'm going to bring the rifle for that one too. You know, <laughs> links are a small target. And if you got one 45 feet up in the tree, um, yeah, the, the gun's going to be in hand for that one, but I'm actually going with, uh, have you heard of T-Rex knives? One of our sponsors. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So Joe's the owner of that and he is, uh, he's coming with me on the hunt. So it's going to be fun. He's bringing his bow and, uh, yeah, it's going to be something else. So. Yeah, sounds like a good time. Yeah, without a doubt. So, what do you got planned here for uh, for the winter? You do much ice fishing, or? Yeah, I usually try to get out at least a few times in the winter. Um, yeah. Didn't get out a whole lot last year. Spent a couple times out at Stony Lake, I guess they call it. Okay. Over towards Hines Creek. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, that was about the extent of it last year. What are you catching there? Uh, perch and trout. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, perch weren't primarily the main fish there before. It's like a stock lake. Okay. But Do they the stock last... perch in that lake? Uh, yeah, okay. they must because yeah. they weren't there before. Oh, I've, I see. I've heard mixed stories on that lake and how they ended up there, but yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Nothing like too big there. Well, perch are just such good eating too if you can. Uh... Oh, man. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. If I had to pick a fish to eat over and over, it would definitely be the perch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, we do about 90% of our fishing on, on Slave Lake here. And um, it's funny because I lived in, I grew up in Saskatchewan. And uh, the lakes that I would take the boat on there, um, we were targeting big walleye. And um, we couldn't keep the perch off. Like, they would nibble our worms off of our uh, our spinner rigs and our jigs and and they were more of a nuisance than anything. We'd always come home with our limited perch, but we wanted the walleye. And then I moved here, and I can't catch a perch on this lake to save my life. And that's all I would want is, you know, even just a one limit a year of perch, and I'd be happy. But, um, yeah, you always want what you don't have. But, uh, yeah, I haven't haven't caught a limit of perch since I lived in Saskatchewan. And uh, they are, are delicious, absolutely delicious. But in the cold water... Um, you know, pulling something through the ice, 
we've even found, you know, pike very good in the winter out of the ice cold water. Oh yeah, cold water pikes is pretty good for sure. For sure, man. Like we actually served up some pike and walleye last winter to some family and, um, you know, the pike was actually favored by everybody and they never knew what it was and where most people, um, you know, they think walleye perch are the best, but the pike in the wintertime is actually phenomenal. But now in the summertime, all honesty, I don't know if I've had a, a very good pike in the summertime. They're like a totally different fish. Definitely. Um, I know that we've gone up to, uh, on the Mackenzie river a few times. Okay. Nice. There, uh, right after the ice comes off and pike out of there in that cold water. Yeah. yeah. Some of the best fish I've ever had. Oh, for sure. Nice thing about pike too, is you get a lot of meat off those fish. Oh yeah. Especially up there. Like, yeah. Constantly catching like 16 to 25 pound pike. Holy smokes. Yeah. The biggest one I think I've caught up there was 23 pounds, four ounces. Wow. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. We have a lake North of here, you tick them a lake and that's usually pretty good for pike. It's slowed down the last few years, but uh, there's some big ones pulled out of there. They actually just shut the walleye fishing down in that lake about two years ago, but uh, that's where we would typically go for our bigger pike. Um, but, uh, last year and this year we've just been hitting, uh, well this year we haven't yet, but we're going to go out here after Christmas on Slave Lake and, uh, and it's a, you know, it's a huge lake. Last year we hooked onto some, some white fish. That's uh, that was sort of a surprise to us, but they are in there. And, uh, you know, you always have a bit of an opportunity in the wearing time for perch as well. I haven't caught a whole lot on this lake. Um, and then obviously your walleye and your pike. So it's exciting for the kids to get out there. My wife is absolutely crazy about fishing. So uh, any excuse just to get in the outdoors, really. Oh, yeah. Any excuses for sure. Right on, right on. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I just want to get out, get you on here, chat a little bit of hunting, share that story of yours. Um, you know, you just never know when it's going to happen, right? Several days of hunting and then you guys set up one morning and, you know, you're probably feeling like you might not might not see anything and sure enough you guys got moose all over you you get one down and uh, it's a memory that'll be uh that'll stick with you forever and been hooked ever since that's awesome man right on so yeah we got you an 80 dollar uh, promo code for our online store i'll send you that over um in your order when you end up placing it we'll also throw in a multi-pack of seasoning for you and um and yeah, we wish you a, a very Merry Christmas. And uh, again, thanks so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it big time. Anytime. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yeah, you betcha. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, send us over some photos when you're out, you know, fishing or hunting. We'd love to share it on our page. And uh, yeah, no, we appreciate it big time. You bet. Well, all the best in the new year. Okay. Thanks so much, Brandon. Thanks for sharing some stories, man. You bet. Have a good night. You betcha. Bye. Awesome, guys. Well, that was Brandon Cottrell. Uh, you know, he had some pretty cool stories to share. And, uh, you know, it was great just to chat hunting and fishing and um, and hearing some of his stories with his kids and uh, getting them out in the outdoors. So thank you all so much for listening. That's going to wrap up this podcast, you know, a little shorter than most of them, short and sweet. Eric's not here today, so uh, it's just me. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed my cougar story at the start of this podcast. Um, that was an absolute wild ride. Um, I probably didn't do it justice because uh, we always seem to butcher our own stories or leave something else. 
But uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. I appreciate it big time. And we wish you all a Merry Christmas.